Hey guys, this is Bill Farrell. This is Rock Bottom to Recovery, episode 37. Uh, we're ending the year. This is actually, you guys, you guys are going to be our last episode. Um, mm -hmm. Our guest today uh, are from the Sober Shuttle, Jim Booker and Francis Burnett. Uh, they're going to talk about uh, what they do um, and how they got there. Um, and uh, if you're just tuning in for the first time or you're listening on iTunes or Podbean, um, we are a podcast in support of open discussion and respectfully sharing of ideas and inspirations about all forms of recovery and addiction. And I think inspiration is a good word today um, because I was at an event and um, I met Jimmy and I asked Jimmy what he did and he said he, um, he runs the Sober Shuttle. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, Sober Shuttle. And you were explaining how you pick yeah. people up, take them to the appointments, do uh, along those lines. And I just thought, wow, that's, um, that's amazing because uh, a lot of people that I know in recovery, um, you know, they're taking the bus everywhere mm -hmm. sometimes. And I think when it comes to your recovery and everything, those, those little things tend to make recovery just a little bit more difficult. And when I say that, I'm just, I mean, like, you know, it's just another, uh, I don't know if the right word is obstacle, but mm -hmm. it's like, oh, I got to take the bus, it's freezing cold outside, or it's raining, or something along those lines, and, uh, you know, so you'll skip it, and that's, uh, you know, you don't want to skip anything when you're doing your recovery stuff, but, but so, uh, Jimmy, you are a part of Sober Shuttle. Um, you've been up and rolling for nearly 10 years, correct? That's correct, yeah. How did you get started in this? Like, uh, what, what's your story? Like, uh, well, have... roughly about um, in 2007, um, I actually entered recovery myself, knock on wood, knock on wood, yeah. possibly for the last time, hopefully. Um, then come around 2008, as I graduated East Boston Rehab and worked for East Boston Rehab, I wanted to do a little bit more. I had to look at my own life. And I had to say, what, what went wrong for so many years? Why didn't I catch the program? Why didn't I sustain a type of recovery that my family and myself would be proud of? Right. And um, so I, I took a look at myself, and it was actually always falling through the cracks. And I, I love the word obstacle because that you used, because what the Sober Shuttle does right now is mostly transportation, as you mentioned. And that was the obstacle, is that when I was getting out of detox or rehabs or holdings, there was no way for me to get to these places. Mm -hmm. uh, some of the places had their own transportation, like ad care. But way back when I was entering recovery, they would find you a bed and say, okay, you've got to be there by 11. And left to our own devices, at least for myself, I would much rather probably pick up one more uh, drink to get that courage to go, and then once one starts, the second and third. Mm, right. So it was all falling through the cracks in between the detox, to the holding, to the uh, halfway houses, to the sober houses. And that's when I decided that I was going to go out and get a van. We were going to call it the sober shuttle. And we were going to start transporting people to try to help them continue in their recovery. That's excellent. So we, we, we needed the words recovery supports, and it was my sister who came out and said, that sounds a little foolish. You know, why aren't you, you know, supporting recovery? Sounds more, you know, appropriate. And, and that's what we do today. Uh, we've expanded greatly since 10 years ago. Um, 
actually in 2008, the first, this was one of the first things we did. I know you're probably not going to be able to see it, but this book right here is actually a listing of over 300 detoxes, rehabs, and holdings that I comprised myself by calling each and every single one of them, finding out what insurance they take. Are they, uh, do they uh, deal with cocaine addictions? Do you deal with heroin? Uh, do you take mass health? And this is one of the books that got us going. So on this particular book, yeah. um, it's, you said it's about 300? Yeah, there's about, yeah, about 300. And a lot of these places we serve today, okay. and when we started up the Sober Shuttle again roughly about two years ago, uh, I was checking it, and most, mostly all of it stayed the same. So, That's excellent. So it's good to see that some parts of recovery stay the same and right. still work. Uh, what what kind of an area does that cover? Do you, like this covers all of Massachusetts, all of Massachusetts and so does the excellent. Sober Shuttle. Okay. Yeah. And uh, in the beginning of the book, uh, I have it uh, categorized by cities. Uh, so if somebody says, you know, I, I got my child, I got my family over there, I want to stay in recovery, uh, but can you find me something in Haverhill? Right. You know, I would look up and find the page and would go and it would direct me. That's pretty to organized, Jimmy. Yeah. <laughs> like and uh, we're very, <laughs> so. very proud of this. Yeah. It helped us way back then because when the Sober Shuttle first started in 2009, what we did is we contacted all the hospitals, the detoxes, the shelters, right. and we said, listen, we want to come in and we want to bring the message of recovery, the message of hope. Mm -hmm. And the word hope is very, very important, and we have it up here. Uh, so what we did is we started doing 20 commitments a month, 20, 22 commitments a month. To explain, when you say you, you're starting to do 20, 20 uh, to, uh, commitments a month, just explain briefly, what does that mean Okay. to people that are listening or watching? Yeah, like, uh, well, in AA and NA, you know, you go out and you do a commitment, you go into a hospital and you mm -hmm. sit down and you'll tell your story and you try to inspire them to stay in recovery. Right. So you'd speak to the hospital clients, the detox clients, roughly probably about an hour, mm -hmm. and uh, hopefully when you leave there, you, you inspire them to continue in their recovery. So we were doing this 20 nights out of 30 nights a month. We were hitting all the Arbor Hospital, Bournemouth Hospital. We were going as far as Brockton, Main Spring. Mm -hmm. uh, we were going all the way to Bald Pate. We were doing commitment after commitment after commitment. Right. We would bring in our Sober Shuttle Creed, uh, which is something that would have been nice to put on the screen. Uh, but I don't know if you'll be able to catch it here. I'll just hold it well, for a second. But you know what, don't read it. So because the yeah. people that are listening, if you don't mind, okay. uh, just so, give it a read. So this is, this is something that I actually wrote a long time ago, and we still go by it today. Okay. This, this is your mission. This is your, what you guys Yeah, the mission actually right. is taken out of this. Okay. Yeah. So the Sober Shuttle is a family. Back there, we considered ourselves family, like we do everybody in recovery. The Sober Shuttle is a family of recovering alcoholics, addicts, and individuals with addictive behaviors. We travel to shelters, detoxes, holdings, and rehabs in an attempt to bring hope to those trying to recover. Our mission is not to focus on the problems that brought us into recovery, but on the 12-step solution in the way of life that keeps us here. So it's all about maintaining recovery for us. Right. And that goes back to my own demons trying to get into recovery is that sustainability. 
So let's um, let's let's go back a little bit. Let's, uh, if you don't mind, and again, yeah. bo uh, both you guys, Francis and uh, and Jimmy, um, you only share what you want to share. But I'm curious to know when did you start um, into your life of addiction? What age? How did it come about? Um, the effects that it had on, say, your, your relationship, your families, and your life. What were you addicted to? Well, I was, you know, and, and I, I'll let Francis share after this too because I know he's got a different story. Even though they're so much alike, they're so different. Uh, I can, I can actually go back to the age of maybe 13, 14, mm -hmm. walking to junior high school and going into the corner store and looking up on the corner on the cabinet and seeing a bottle that said Met Brew. And I looked at that, and I said, what the hell is that? Excuse my language. Yeah, that's right. So I said, what is that? So I asked the guy, can I purchase that? And he said, yes, here I am, 12, 13 years old, buying this product that says near beer. Near beer. So right away, when I think about that today, when I think about that today, this is how much it's a psychological issue. Yeah. Addiction, as much as the physical. So it captured your eye. It captured my eye, and now I think I'm all this, walking to junior high school, drinking this Met brew, and you know now I'm an alcoholic and all this, all these things that we just don't know about right. when we're younger. And uh, so I think that's where it started. But really, my, my drinking really didn't start till about 17, 18. Mm -hmm. Drugs didn't start till about 32. Oh, wow. So there was a, yeah, there a was long a big, period big in, there, in there, just boozing. And I really think it's because when my life started to... <clears throat> go downhill more, I needed more. Right. I needed more, because it's all about relief. And what drugs did you get into? When, uh... Uh, it started with the, uh, the cocaine, uh, and then it went to the, uh, the, uh, the pipe. Yeah. Uh, and I never got into the marijuana because I didn't think it would do enough for me. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, the cocaine and, and smoking the pipe actually took, took over my alcohol. Mm -hmm. You know, I wanted that more. Right. But then when I was done with the cocaine, I needed my booze. Mm -hmm. And I knew that that combination wasn't working because everybody I was partying with could handle both at one time. And then yeah. when I was done smoking, I had no booze because everybody else drank it. Yeah. So now I had to make a choice. I better go back to alcohol. And so how long did you stay with the alcohol for? When, when did you first go into recovery and how did you? My first, my first, first meeting in Alcoholics Anonymous was at the age of 18. Okay. So, oh, I, so you were like, yeah, I, I you knew, were in and out. I knew I needed help yeah. all along, but I never wanted help. Right. And that's the big difference is you can need it all you want, but you'll never get it until you actually say, you know something, I want this. Right. And wow. at the age of 49, I wanted it. Yeah, why? Why at 49? Well, well, you know something, and Francis will attest to this too. I don't want to take up all the time, but <coughs> we're going to give know, Francis some time. But you know, <laughs> it's so. you know the addiction is physical, mental, and spiritual. Uh -huh. You know, I I consider myself chaotic and a delinquent from childhood, right? Because I was doing stupid things, hanging around with younger kids because I knew they would follow me. Yeah. So I'd be the type instead of doing something productive, going out breaking windows. Uh, putting chains across streets so that way cars would have to stop and get out and untie chains and stuff. And people my age weren't doing that. Right. So I knew there was something wrong with me. And then you probably look good in front of all the younger kids, right? Absolutely. The cool guy. So that's who I gravitated to, so, you know, do what I do. So speaking of cool guys, let's uh, shift over to uh, Francis. Yeah. And uh, what's your story, Francis? How did you, um, well, uh, what, uh, did you, um, were you in, um, Addicted? Yeah, one of the similarities to something that Jimmy just said was uh, 
I too was introduced to AA literally at the age of about 19, and it was due to uh, uh, a drunken driving. Okay. And, uh, you know, back in them days, this was, uh, <clears throat> you know, even before the uh, Mothers Against Drunk Driving laws, I, I had already had my first drunk driving. And, uh, but I knew I was, I knew that I was drinking alcoholically uh, in high school. Which, and, what uh, age did you start? Would you say? Did I would say I started, uh, you know, I probably started around 13 or 14, yeah. but it, 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 it really took off, uh, it really took off in high school. Yeah. And I just, it, myself and the crowd I hung with, and, uh, and, I, and I never faulted or blamed it on anybody but myself, but uh, we were wild. I was wild. Yeah. And I was drinking, and uh, drugs, drugs became a big part of my story. Uh, I was that alcoholic who, who liked to do drugs, so... Once I started, once I once I put that drink in my system, all bets were off. Yeah. Uh, any anything that was mm. on it the table really loosened uh, yeah, you up. It really did. It <laughs> so really you did. Do. When people say I had no defense against the first drink, I yeah. had the, no defense against the first anything. Wow. Once I once I got rolling, and uh, and that was uh, and that was my story for uh, a large part of my life and growing up and. Uh, I was that fortunate person who was able to get a job and, and hold down a job. And uh, I, I use this line that I, because I was a functioning alcoholic, and I do the quotation marks, but uh, as I share my story now, I, I wasn't a functioning alcoholic. I was a drunk with a good job. Yeah. And because of that, it, because of that I, it looked okay on the outside. Yeah. And uh, so I, I, I ran with it for a lot of years. And, how many about, years? Oh, oh, my first stretch, I was probably out there about 20 to 25 years, and I was bouncing in and out of detoxes. And, uh, and I ended up in Mount Pleasant. And I actually, uh, you know, I, it was one of those first times. By this time, I was in my 40s when I ended up in Mount Pleasant, but this was after several detoxes. Trips. And it was the first time in my adult life that, uh, call it grace of God, that I admitted to myself that it was, it was the booze. Yeah. And I actually was able to put together a, a strong run of recovery uh, through the through the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. Right. And I managed to stay sober for, for about nine nine and a half years. How did your drinking affect your family? Like, brothers, uh, sisters, mother, father. Yeah, my parents. I mean, especially at the younger age. I mean, my you know, I know my parents were nervous. Fact. I mean, there would be times. I tell this story. There'd be times when I would go out on a. I'd go out on a Thursday and I'd come home on a Sunday, yeah. and I would say like, "What's wrong? Why are you looking at me like this? Something wrong?" And yeah. those were the types of behaviors. And then as I got old enough that I was on my own, I just had a tendency of going missing, and I would just be nobody would know where I was at for several days. So I'm sure was, your parents weren't sleeping. My and... parents were worried. Uh, my older siblings. Uh, couple of sisters they were worried uh it was just it was a mess when people think that uh alcoholism and addiction doesn't affect families they cannot be further from yeah. the truth and as you get into recovery you recognize that even more and more you, you really do it it's a it's a family disease but what happens is the alcoholic brings it into the family and that's and that's what i did mm -hmm. And along the way, I got I, I got married. I, I had my uh, my first son, and he uh, unfortunately, you know, even as a baby, just witnessed a lot of my alcoholic, you know, drinking and drugging. And uh, my second daughter, my, my daughter, happened to be born at a time when I was in recovery. So what a difference that was yeah. from the two children that I had. And and there were several years that when she was young that uh, that I was in recovery, and then I got away from meetings. 
and this is a large part of a message for anyone that's listening. I got away from meetings, and I had no defense against the first drink. And I picked up again in 2001. And I was on a seven-and-a-half-year run that wow, was, seven that and was and the half years. worst drinking and drugging of my life. What do they say, too, like when you pick up that drink, you go right back to, it to day gets, one? It gets worse. Yeah. If you hear nothing else that, that I'm going to say, I have it gets worse. People that have, yeah. that have relapsed or whatever, it's like it's worse the second time around. And I couldn't get back. I mean, so, I, couldn't, I couldn't get back. Uh, you know, we, we do talk about this a lot, uh, self-care here, because uh, we can't stress it enough for people that are in recovery. You started to get away from the meetings. I hear that a lot. Yes. Um, all the things that were working and, um, you know, little by little. How, can, I don't know if you can even remember, but can, how did that come about? Like, yeah. like were you working? Were you like, because I always tell people there's a little voice inside your head that says, mm. yeah. ah, kick back, man. You worked hard today. You don't need to, to, to go to that meeting or whatever it is that you're doing. And, and I recognize that voice early. Sometimes the voice, one. Yeah. Actually, sometimes it still wins, but um, you know. Uh, but it's just so important to recognize that Absolutely. voice. And can you talk a little bit? Yeah, about I that, can. Francis? It's a, you know, it's a it's a little bit of like all of the above. What one of the things we like to say in the program is, uh, don't let the things that AA and recovery gives you take you away from AA. And, yeah. and, and that's exactly what happens. What you just said, life gets good. Life yeah. gets real good. You're working. You got your family life going on. You got activities and you're doing functions, and all of a sudden, seven meetings becomes five, yeah. and five becomes three, and three becomes one, and pretty soon, you know, you're not mm -hmm. making your recovery the number one priority. And, and I'm going to jump on that real quick because um, what my, I'll use my own voice um, that I get sometimes is that, you know, like you said, from five to three to one, and you haven't gone in a while. Now the mm. voice changes. It's like you haven't gone in a while. You can't even show your face there, yeah, yeah. you know? Yeah, and yeah. then right. it just, it's just, it's amazing how it, right. that changes and all mm -hmm. of a sudden you start feeling guilty and before you know it, you pick up. What happened that first? Do you remember the, the I first do. time? I do, I do. When I, and when I picked up the drink, and, and, and this is another important part of my story, when I picked up that first drink after, after about nine and a half years of sobriety, the worst thing that could happen to me was nothing, nothing bad happened. And because nothing bad happened, that, that voice in my mind said, maybe you took this recovery a little too serious. Maybe you can nip and sip. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> and I, like justification. Yeah. And I started <laughs> nipping and sipping, and uh. I, was, uh, I was in a crack house about nine or ten months later. And that, that when I say that that seven-and-a-half-year run was the worst run of my life, it was worse than the, the first 25 years that I drank. Mm. Now I'm older. I have more responsibility. Family life fell apart, and I basically ended up alone. I was living alone in an apartment, and I was hiding booze. So, so that seven and a half years, you, you end up losing your family and everything. Basically, yeah, yeah. lost. You know, lost mm -hmm. being around my family. You know, the marriage fell apart, and the only thing I managed to hold on to was was the job. I was I was still that drunk with a good job, so yeah. I was I was able to get there enough that, uh, and that's by the grace of God. I mean, I had a lot of miracles in my in my life, and. And, and I consider my recovery, it's been, it's been a little over nine years now, I consider my recovery truly a miracle from God. Do you, do you find that um, keeping that job was also a way to kind of justify? Well, because in some ways, uh, to myself anyway, I always kind of looked good on the outside. Yeah. I was that guy that was paying the bills, you know, paying the mortgage. So, so you were getting outside, stuff done. I was getting stuff done. You were able to so I could so. justify yeah. it. 
to me, to me, which is which is a very uh, bad tool that yeah. alcoholic <laughs> tends to use. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know, and we do that all the time. So, um, all right, so you got back on track. Now, what, what about you, Jimmy? Did you have some relapses in between? Like, Well, I don't really consider anything I did a relapse. Okay. I consider it an ongoing <laughs> mission. Okay. Um, of, of recovery. I would like to call it that. I yeah. think it was an ongoing mission of, of using. Uh, and you know they talk about spin drives you know you go into to recovery and all of a sudden a couple of days in you're feeling good I think I know what I did wrong yeah. this time maybe and, and a lot of people talk about it maybe I'll just drink beer I won't do the shots I won't yeah. do this I think yeah. I experimented with everything none of it worked when, yeah. when you think about it with a clear head right, a couple of things that it, you asked me earlier about the uh, what got me into recovery this time, and I started talking about the uh, the physical, spiritual, and mm -hmm. the, um, yes. the, the mental. Uh, mental. Uh, it was actually the physical. Okay. Uh, mm. You know, my body was ready to shut down. I, I had to go into uh, Mass General Hospital uh, to go see a liver doctor, and I was right on the edge of cirrhosis. He said, if you pick up one more drink, mm. you could die. Uh, so I went through a lot of things, you know, the, uh, a lot of treatments to take care of my liver. But the most important thing is I remember that I, I was out of recovery so much and into programs that I, that was my justification is that I could always run to a program. Mm -hmm. The pro, you know, it's easy to get into a program. You just, you know, go to a hospital and they'll put you somewhere. So it's not that case now. So when you, but what do you mean by saying that? Like, so, so you always had a program. So was that your way of saying I could still kind of dabble? It was my way to say. Because I can say, always go back. I was, have somewhere to go. It, it, yeah, it was yeah. my way to say I know what to do if I'm in trouble. Okay. So I used detoxes as a crutch. Okay, mm. my family's mad at me. Okay, let me do this. My job's mad at me. Let me yeah. go into detoxes. But it got to the point where the detox wasn't doing what it was supposed to do anymore because I already knew. You're going to be in there three days. They're going to take your blood pressure. You're going to be on Librium. Three days later, once your blood pressure regulates, they're going to tell you, okay, what's your next move? You need to get out because now you're mental. You're, mental. <laughs> you're medically cleared. Yeah. And that's where I started falling through the cracks because I had no supports. Nobody was coming and talking to me. There was nobody saying, hey, let's move forward with this. Right. I got to the point where I was clearing up upstairs, and they say, if you, you know, that's a bad neighborhood to be in. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you're sitting at home alone, you're sitting with an idiot. It took me many years to, to realize that, that all those nights alone, there was people out there that were willing to help me. Uh, but I didn't know how to use the resources. Right. But it came to the point where I, I stopped going to detoxes. I said to myself, I'm going to detox myself because I can do what they do. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll just maybe nurse a beer and then I'll come off it and then I'll be all right for two, three days. Then if I want to go back out there and blast away again, yeah. then I will. But this time, you know, and I, I, I make a joke about it because it seemed like I always lived above bar rooms and uh, barbershops. <laughs> I don't know if it's because of the BAAR <laughs> at the beginning of both of them. But Man of convenience. Yeah. <laughs> but you know something? In New Bedford, I was living above a barbershop, and I decided to detox myself. And while I'm sitting there in the barbershop itself, because I figured I didn't want to be alone upstairs, because I know that the package store is like four steps outside my door. Yeah. So I went downstairs to talk with them, and all of a sudden, I just felt something coming over me where my arms, legs, and everything were just curling in. It was vicious. It was, I was in so much pain. 
I didn't know what was happening to me. I woke up four days later at St. Luke's Hospital and uh, the doctor coming in and saying to me, you know, he says, I got good news and bad news. I said, I don't even know what happened to me. He says, you just woke up out of a coma. Wow. He said, the good news, you're going to be okay. The bad news is you can never drink again. And I, I couldn't fathom that thought yeah. because now I'm sober. I've been in a coma for four days. First thing that's on my mind, this alcoholic mind, is I want to drink. And then the second thought was when I get out of this hospital, if I tell people I was in a coma, I'm going to get mercy drinks. Because you go into a bar and you give them a good line, you're going to get free drinks all the time. People are going to take care of you, so to speak. So it was, it was the physical thing. But then three years later, and this is the most important part because I learned a big lesson, and it took me a couple of more years after that. But a couple of years later, I did the same thing. I said, I'm going to detox myself. And I speak of this all the time. And the same thing happened. Legs, arms, chest, down. Four days, same four days, same hospital, same doctor. He comes in, he says the same thing. Good news and bad news. I chuckled. I thought it was hilarious. The good news is you're going to be okay. And I said, bring the bad news. I says, I'm used to this. He says, your mother's died and buried and you will not be able to say goodbye. The most devastating news I could ever hear. And I went out and drank. It was a couple of years after that that I looked back at all this when I finally entered recovery for the last time, again, knock on wood, that I realized that passing of my mother was probably the most influential part of my recovery mm-hmm. because it opened my eyes to the fact that I drank for relief. I never chased a drug or a drink in my life. I can right. honestly say that now. I chased escape from what I was. Mm-hmm. And today, you know, if I don't find relief in doing what I'm doing with the Sober Shuttle, hanging with good friends like this, and right. doing something like this to help get out of myself to help others, I know where to find relief. It's right. on every corner. Yeah. It's on every corner. Right. I can find it anywhere. So you surround yourself with good people. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, as they say, like-minded people. Yeah. Um, also in recovery so you can lean on each other when you need to. Because life is tough. Absolutely. Absolutely. It does, that doesn't change. Yeah. Um, you also spoke spiritual. I'd like to talk about that, too, because mm-hmm. um, I personally believe, um, you know, um, I have power very, very huge in recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. We've had a lot of people on here, a lot of people that are successful. And I'm not saying that people aren't successful in their recovery when it comes to their higher power, but it just seems like there's a, a clicking moment, a, that light bulb. You can mm-hmm. just see it in people's faces. Um, higher power? I can actually, I'll, I'll share my, I'm sure you got yeah. one, an aha I moment. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. I was living in Bridgewater, and I would be taking my bicycle to, to the uh, Bridgewater College and taking the train into Brockton and sleep with the homeless people for four days on. Mm-hmm. Because those are the people that understood me, right. and I understood them. So for four days, I'd go sleep in the weeds, we'd get up, we'd go spread ourselves out and pan for money. We'd meet back around 11 o'clock, go buy our booze, and then go back into the weeds and stay there all night. Well, this one specific time, it started pouring. And uh, I said, you know, I I says, I got to get home. I'm going to go shower. Thank God I got a place in Bridgewater. So I went to get on the train, and I'm I'm sitting there at the train station. And I'm looking, and if anybody knows about Brockton, you look down and you see Legion Parkway. You can see the Alamo. I used to always go in the Alamo. The motels on the left, the Grayson and the West Dome. I used to frequent them all the time, all the bar rooms. 
and I'm looking down off the Legion Parkway, and I see everybody running the streets. I see people lining up at the bar room an hour before it's going to open. And I'm sitting there, and I'm looking, and as I'm getting wet, I see my life pass before my eyes. Everything that those people were doing, from the cars going by beeping at the girls, from the, from the people getting up in the morning to go get the methadone, and I don't put anybody down for anything that they do in recovery because if it works for you, God bless you, do it. And it, it was all my life. And as I sat there, the train was coming, and I put my head down, and I just started crying. Mm -hmm. And the train went by. I let it go by, and I walked down the stairs, and I walked up to Brockton Hospital. And I put myself in there from Brockton Hospital. I went to Tewksbury Transitions, East Boston Rehab, and graduated there. Uh, I started working for East Boston Rehab. Um, I went back to school. I got my bachelor's in psychology. I got my master's in human services. I got married. I got grandchildren. I've got a life. <laughs> That's amazing. And it's, it's going to be 12 years. I'm blessed. Yeah. And uh, that was my aha moment. Yeah. Where, awesome. where that word hope. I even made myself a spirituality ladder mm -hmm. where you have to get the spirituality. And you got to have this one little belief. And then you've got to hope that your belief is right. Mm -hmm. And then you've got to have faith that you're hoping for yeah. the right thing. And then you've got to have that spirituality that enters your life as you're going up that ladder. And today, you know, there's bad days. We all have right. bad days. Where Why me? Why me? I have to remember to say, why not? Yeah. Yeah. Why not you? Right. And, you know, it keeps me grounded. That's I awesome. do a lot of things wrong. I do a lot of yeah, things wrong. Yeah, I think wrong. we all do. But, uh, um, that's fantastic. That's excellent. Um, Francis, what about your... You know, um, you know, one of the amazing things uh, about the Sober Shuttle, uh, you know, you, we pick up a lot of people. I, I've picked up several people in the last four or five months, and uh, these are people in early, early recovery. Right. And, uh, you know, it's usually a long ride. You get them in the car, and it's one-on-one. -on -one. Mm. And... Uh, Listening to, you know, what's coming, up, coming out of their mouth in that early recovery is a large part of what helps me to realize the miracle that, that I'm living now because I'm, I'm not the person that I was nine years ago when I came into the program. Right. And service work, uh, you know, is such, a large, is such a large part of keeping what was so freely given to me. Right. And, uh, you know, the stopping the drinking and stopping the drugging you can do that. It's the staying stopped. Right. And those aha moments, and sometimes they, sometimes they come when you just hear somebody sharing something. That's why I tell people all the time, you, you, you have to be in the room, whether that means going to meetings. Right. You have to be talking to somebody else in recovery. If you're not placing yourself in those situations, sometimes you're not even in the, in the place for that, for that aha moment to happen. And you need those aha moments. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's, um, to, to me, that is truly the grace of God. The, without the, a doubt. Right, the aha moments yeah. is the, the higher power. The, the, the aha moments, I, I call them the little blessings in the day. Absolutely. The tiny little things that, like, for me, for me personally, I say that I get to witness God doing on a daily basis, right. which right. I never saw. Uh, when I was drinking, because I wasn't right. looking for them. Um, and they're, sometimes they're very, they're like right in your face, mm -hmm. you know, looking out and seeing your life flash before you, or it's just mm -hmm. something small. Right. But to be able just to recognize them as a blessing in right. itself. Absolutely. And um, 
So that's fantastic. So um, you got 12 years now, you said? And nine? That'll be 12 nine. years. Coming, yeah. Awesome. That's amazing. Yeah. And, you know, you, so you talk about service work, Francis, and um, very, very important. Um, so we covered, uh, real quick, environment, um, surrounding yourself with good people, mm -hmm. um, service work. These are all some of the things that um, you get out of AA, mm -hmm. um, right? Mm -hmm. um, and um, so you, you get into service. So let's let's jump into now the uh, Sobo Shuttle. I think people have a good idea who you guys are, where you came mm -hmm. from. And uh, let's talk about the Sobo Shuttle mm -hmm. because I, I was just, I thought this was phenomenal when, when you told me what you did. I was like, mm -hmm. wow. There's something that's needed, mm. and it's needed bad, like so many other things in recovery. So you got the idea to purchase a van. Yeah. Um, so you get the van up and rolling. Yeah. Right? And so um, you made this book. Um, you start going to commitments. Mm -hmm. um, where, where are you uh, at now? And how did you and Francis end up meeting to, uh, to get him involved? I, in I actually met, uh, I met Jimmy very early on in my recovery, and uh, we used to have a sunrise meeting in, in Winthrop, and I actually met with, met Jimmy on Winthrop Beach. And I was at that time, I was probably only about six months into my recovery. And uh, at that time, Jimmy did have a van, and the Sober Shuttle van. So the Sober, Sober Shuttle was up and rolling when you met him? It was, it was up and rolling when I met him. And, uh, I mean, we just we connected, which is another amazing part about the, about the program of right. recovery. You meet certain people, and uh, Jimmy and I have literally been friends Mm -hmm. I would say for just, it's been almost nine years, almost mm -hmm. my whole time in recovery, wow. him and I. Have been, and, you know, you'll lose track of people a little bit. And uh, But I actively got uh, very busy with the Sober Shuttle about a year and a half ago. I'm mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. now a board of directors member. Uh, because I'm retired, mm -hmm. Jimmy knows he can call on me sometimes at the odd times. And, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, I try to do whatever it is that... That we can do so. Right. Him and I have him and I have had a pretty close relationship, off and on for the nine years. But obviously, for the last year and a half, it's gotten, another, a, gotten a lot closer. Yeah, another yeah. blessing. Another blessing. Yeah, yeah another absolutely. Blessing. So, um, do you have one van or two? What do you have? Uh, actually, well, we'll get into that. Actually, okay. our van kind of like broke down. Oh, okay. And uh, that's that's funny because we just talked about Ooh, this. Yes. And, <laughs> and uh, the van broke down, and this is at the time that we stopped doing commitments, and I was focusing on my education. Okay. Uh, because it was like, I, I said to my wife, I says, I'm missing something. I'm not content. I'm in recovery. It's great. I'm doing meetings all over right. the place. I feel good. Something was missing. My family's back. There was something missing. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't feel fulfilled. Mm -hmm. And that's why I went and I got my bachelor's. And then after that, I said to my wife, I says, I'm going to keep going. She says, at your age? I says, <laughs> why not? I says, I am. So I got yeah. my master's. And then when I got done with my master's, I said to my wife, something's missing. I says, I can't sit home and watch Lauren Otter every day. I says, I need to do something. At the same time, I got promoted. I, I run a mental health house mm -hmm. in Quincy for Bay Cove Human Services, plug, plug. Uh, and I was blessed by them because they went and offered me a manager's job mm -hmm. because I was doing so well. So now I had to look at my life and I used to say, you know, what am I going to do here? And I said to my wife, I says, I'm going to start up the sober shuttle again. So at this present time, we don't have a van. This, this article right here, which was an article that was, was written just roughly about a year, and then we had a second article that was written 
Where were these articles in? Oh, I see the Everett. The, ad, the Advocate, yeah. which is all of the North Shore papers that went to Lynn and, and everywhere. Are but, these articles on your um, the, uh, website? Yes, yes, and yes, yeah, these these so should be on there, like and to. also the uh, the award that we won from the Everett Chamber of Commerce and um, CHA Everett for uh, our work against the opioid epidemic. Excellent. Uh, so that video also is is on the is on the website. A website, and yeah. do you have a Facebook page? Uh, the Facebook page uh, we Thanks. have is uh, Sober Shuttle, but you've got to go through me if you, you just click on oh, okay. the Sober Shuttle page. That'll be it. But, but people you, can look at these on the uh, yeah, website. You, so yeah, check so, out the website. SoberShuttle535.com. Okay. And the five, everybody says, what's the 535 for? And that's the address, 535 Ferry Street. Oh, okay. Uh, so it's SoberShuttle535.com. So to get back to the van, we're, we're, we're trying desperately to either get a grant to purchase a van or mm -hmm. to find somebody out there that has a van maybe sitting in their yard or, or, or can give us a call and say, hey, listen, we got a donation for you. Uh, that would be perfect. Uh, we're a work in process. Mm -hmm. You know, we're still new, so we've applied for a few grants. We've gotten one, okay. uh, not a big grant. But we understand that. We understand that. Right. We're new and, and time is coming. But right now, it's all volunteers, vehicles. We all take our own car. We yeah. all travel. Uh, we don't get compensated for any of it. Right. Uh, Sober Shuttle is a group of volunteers still today, not so one person. So you're paying for your own gas and obviously the wear and tear. Yeah, right? well, it comes out of the Sober Shuttle Fund. We yeah. do have uh, you know, a fundraiser. We've been doing a lot of fundraising. Oh, yeah. We've Which been doing needed. a lot of fundraising. Yeah. Uh, we got uh, a small membership fee. Uh, I don't even like to call it a fee because we've Levy been addressing spot. that. Yeah. It's $10 a month. So, you know, that brings us in about $180, and then we got regular donors mm -hmm. uh, that contribute. Uh, one is $100 a month that comes in. We've got uh, the Washburn House uh, in Worcester has just started to uh, make uh, monetary contributions to That's us. Excellent. Uh, Bald paid also. Uh, I just had a meeting with her today as I did a transport for them yeah. this morning. Uh, so it's, it's a w work in progress, and we're going to get there. We're so very... So uh, when you started up the Sober Shuttle, did you, my stomach's growling, I gotta eat some dinner. Um, <laughs> did you find what was missing? The second time? Yeah, you, you were saying you were something missing. Oh yes, startup. yes, yes, and it, it was helping others. Yeah. It was helping Service others. Work again. It was getting out of myself. It's not about what I did for myself. It wasn't about getting that degree. It hasn't done me a bit of good uh, yeah. because I already had the promotion. Yeah. Yep. So, but you know something, it looks good on paper. Yeah. Just today, I got in the mail uh, an offer from Walden University, which I got my master's from. They submitted my name to the largest, uh, what is it, the largest uh, honor society in the United States. Wow. And, uh, you know, I've been asked to join. And, you know, I'm going to look at that, but that's about me. Yeah. It doesn't interest me now. Yeah. You know, it's, that's not going to help me help others. Yeah, that's the most important thing. Well, what, you, what, we, what I get out of service work is, and yeah, you're giving of your time freely, but I do get so much back in return yeah, because right. it, it enhances uh, my level of recovery. Sometimes I need to get out of my head. Yeah. Mm. And how I get out of my head is I just, you know, give, us, give of my time, give of my experience, strength, and hope. And then at the end of the day when I, when I sit back, that could be some of those small aha moments when 
it was a good day. Right. And it was a good day because you stepped out and you, you know, you helped somebody out, you know. And the conversations from the people that you pick up, I mean, it, it has to be, um, um, what's the, um, I was thinking of a particular word that goes in my stomach again. Um, it, I mean, obviously it has to be good going back and forth. And what I mean is like, you're getting something. Yeah. Um, they're getting something. They're obviously getting a ride from somebody who's been there, done that. Yeah. And the first, the first thing that they're they're glad is they don't have to be sitting in the back seat and feel like a client, right. yeah, driving because we we're them, we're we equal. We're yeah. doing we're doing a service that needs to get done because transportation is one of the number one issues in uh, boundaries that mm -hmm. that stop people from continuing right. there. We work with all the drug courts. We're, mm -hmm. we're constantly at Malden, Lynn, Chelsea. We pick up people from the drug courts, the Middlesex Sheriff's Department. Uh, we're very active in the community right now. We try to go to all the uh, different events, like where I met you at the right. uh, Gavin mm -hmm. House Comedy Club. Yeah. We want to make ourselves present, and it's not, it's not an ego thing. It's we need to get out there, and that's why we're on here today. You got the sober shuttle. Please call us if you need our yeah. service. And that's what we want. We want to be out there. And a service yep. that's needed. And yeah, another thing, absolutely. within within the first, I would say, less than five minutes of the time that I'm in the car with, you know, with the client, they already know I'm in recovery. So they mm -hmm. right off the bat, I'm driving the car, but yeah. I've been where you're at. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And whether it was nine months ago or nine years ago. And that alone makes the person who you're given the transport feel that much more. Right. Yeah. They can relax yeah. and possibly right. open up. And you're yeah. having a little With meeting the in the car. Yeah. yeah. And the most important thing that we do, is, as far as I'm concerned, is that when we drop them off, we give them one of our brochures and our card right. and our personal phone number. Right. And we ask them, call us tonight when you get settled. Right. Yeah. Don't wait till you get out. Build a foundation. Call right. us. We're yeah. not just here to drop you off and say, see you later. Right. We're here to be yeah. by your side. Building those relationships, absolutely, absolutely. which are, which is so needed. Yeah. That that support absolutely. the environment, absolutely. getting yourself around people yeah. that care, which you guys obviously do. So I know amazing. I know we're running out of time. Do you want to just briefly <coughs> give a little yes. description of that? Yeah, just in fact, just recently we had an we had an excellent uh, we call it the holiday party. And okay, we, good. You yep, there, yeah. and and uh, we put this together, and uh, <laughs> this was. Uh, this was my first one this year. It, yeah. it, it was amazing. We had uh, we had Santa Claus there. It was for uh, 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 some of the mental health houses uh, in uh, in uh, Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. I say we had a crowd of probably well over 100 clients there. Yeah, 100, 100. And we had and, and uh, we put this on. With, we had food. We had music and dancing, but we had Santa Claus. <laughs> and, and, and again, and this was all put together uh, by the Sober Shuttle, which is just mm -hmm. you know another yep. thing that we do in the community. Uh, you know, just to you know, just to give of our, give of ourselves, and exactly. it was and it was a it was a great time. Where's the cat come from? Oh, I don't know. That's not my cat. Oh, okay. <laughs> my cat wouldn't fit under a tree. <laughs> but uh, but what, do you, what do you have on the backside, Francis? Uh, that and was, was and this was, was first, yeah. this was last year. So this is this was our second annual, and this is something we plan on doing. Every year, every year, our, our every holiday year. Okay. party, and yeah. and and we'll expand it as it goes. We had we had literally had gifts for everybody, everybody who, who was there. Yeah, so, and uh, you know something, and I'm glad that you mentioned that and, and that because I I cannot go by without mentioning uh, Rocco Longo from Sabatino Insurance, which is a great supporter of the Sober Shuttle. Uh, also, uh, Tomer at uh, Ferry Street Garage, 
and uh, VSM uh, Electronics, which is right in front of 535 Ferry Street, uh, our office, uh, they all contribute greatly to our wow. cause. And, uh, you know, we really appreciate what they do for us. Uh, but we go outside the box, and this is all men mental health. Yep. It has nothing to do with substance abuse right, right. or addiction. And we all get together, and we, we all put on this gigantic affair. We've been actually doing this for 10 years. But That's it's only, we, we, it got so big inside a regular group home that the fire right. department would have shut us down. Oh, see, yeah. so we moved it into a hall. Into a hall. That's yeah. a great right. thing. So it's, yeah. it's giant. It's just Well, you know, we've um, had people on here, and I, maybe have you like to come back and talk about the mental health side of things. Oh, because um, we have um, had people on here, um, some of the past episodes, where people have dealt with mental health mm -hmm. issues. Um, and then, obviously, the addiction comes into play. Right. So right. little diagnosis, right. those type right. of things. So they have to have you come back maybe 2019 and talk about that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, a lot of people like to separate those two, but you know something? <coughs> you they, can't they're anymore. They're so related. No, no, they're so are. related. Uh, actually, well, I think... Our last uh, podcast um, our guest was talking about um, the mental health side of things mm -hmm. and then how Absolutely. that fed into her addiction. Absolutely. So, um, but, uh, all right, so I guess we'll call this a wrap. I, this is fantastic. Okay. Um, it's great to have um, the Sobo Shuttle here. Thank you guys so much for what you do. Thank it's you. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Bill. Thank you. Again, um, Thank you, Bill. To, to meet you and to meet you, Francis, for the first time, uh, yeah, I could see immediately what a wonderful guy you are. And the work that you're doing is amazing. So you guys can um, go to the Sober, Sh Sober Shuttle website, um, which I'll put onto the, uh, into the okay. description awesome. uh, when I go to share it. And um, um, as you guys know, this is all a part of the Hober Cares Coalition. Uh, we meet the uh, first Tuesday of every month at the Holbrook Town Hall. It's uh, an opportunity... If you're uh, dealing with um, addiction or any type of recovery, uh, family members, anybody, uh, to come up there and, and get yourself some resources, uh, see what's available. Um, you can also uh, message us on the Holbrook Cares uh, Facebook page. You can actually come to the Rock Bottom to Recovery Facebook page. You can listen to us on iTunes, Podbeans. You can message me. Um, we're very easy to track down. But um, go to the Sober Shuttle Facebook page, the website. Um, if you know somebody who has a van, they can donate or something Absolutely. along those lines. You know, we transportation is needed. It's one Absolutely. of the um, major uh, hurdles, obstacles, whatever you want to call that people in the recovery have to get past. So it's, it's one of those things that are needed, and we have a group Absolutely. here that's doing that. Uh, we can't thank you guys enough. Um, I don't want to end on a, on, a, on a bad note, but I do want to, people to understand the importance of recovery is at the beginning of 2018, I think I was looking to 2017, how many people we had lost to uh, mm. drug overdoses. Mm -hmm. And at that particular time, I think we were around 62,000, um, give or take. We were right around there. And I, and I remember the number because whatever Gillette Stadium holds, mm. this was like 200 um, seats short, um, if, that, if I said that right. Um, of people that had passed. And I, yeah. I used to share that a lot. If you want to see what that looks like, Gillette Stadium right. holds right. 200 seats more. Right. A whole stadium of people lost in one year. Yeah. And then someone pointed out to me, well, what about the families that have been affected? Absolutely. Friends, yeah. how many stadiums would that fill? Right. And so as I was um, um, on the um, um, internet the other day, 2017 now is at 72,000. 
estimated 72,000 lives lost to addiction. This is why we're here. This is why Absolutely. you guys are here. Absolutely. If you're struggling, um, keep going. Keep going. Keep doing it. Um, we're here for you. Um, so with that, I can't think of a better way to end this, the 2018 season with the Silver Shuttles. This is uh, um, um, Jim Booker and Francis Burnett. Uh, it's been a pleasure to have you guys here. 2019, I'm already writing up the schedule, so keep us um, in mind and uh, be safe. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, bless. everybody. Bless Bye, guys. Thank you.